Alrighty. And we are started. So uh, no, shout out shout out to this clean feed setup, man. It's uh it's very clear. I don't know how it, it's doing this. Cause like doing like Skype, the voice on Skype is never this good. Like I don't know how they're doing this is nice. Yeah, I don't know either, but it's excellent. It's free. Um, and I think it's like some scientists, some researchers somewhere who just like made the uh, product and um, they made it a very nice one. And shout out to them, man. Got my podcasting career off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's Yo, shout out to scientists, bro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> shout out to scientists. <laughs> so uh, anyway, it is it is a true pleasure to have you both on the podcast Honestly, actually, let me stop talking shit because we have Herschel. Herschel's back. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, back like I never left. <laughs> right. This dude, Tunde, man, just commandeered the whole entire podcast, man. Been out here having episodes of everybody willy nilly. It's cool though. I've been, I've been busy, and we'll, we'll get to what I've been busy with very soon. But go ahead, introduce our guest today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Herschel, it's great to have you back. This is Real Talk Beyond the Headlines, hosted by. Tunde, yours truly, and Herschel, who hasn't been on the most recent podcast, but he's back. He's holding it down in the paint in Atlanta, <laughs> the city that we love the most. I come to you from Boston, and we have a very special guest that we refer to as the instigator with dun, us. Dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Instigator, how's it going? Uh, you know, I'm living, man. I'm living. Just trying to trying to stay afloat. <laughs> The instigator is coming from St. Louis, and I visited St. Louis for the first time in March or February, and I visited the instigator, and it was the most ratchet city I've ever been to. Ratchet? Really? <laughs> Go on. I, I need a description. I need you to tell me more. Okay, so so oh, God. The, the last night I was there, me and the instigator, we went out. You know, like, you know, we went out, had some drinks, danced a little bit, and then before we left, this guy's like, you know, um, there's a spot that we can go to and it's like 2 a.m. I'm like, dude, everything's going to close. He was like, no, nah, it doesn't close. So we go to the spot and we're drinking. And then next thing you know, it's 6 a.m. And the motherfucker's not closed. And we're hold leaving up, around up. 7. He, did he say it just like that? Like, yo, he didn't tell you what kind of spot it was. It was like, yo, this is it just never closes. You know, honestly, he told me exactly what it was, but I didn't believe him. He said we were about to go to a, a hole-in-the-wall bar in a huge warehouse. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and that's exactly yep. what we went to. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what it is, man. It's like, they, so it's called, I mean, I don't even know if it's called East St. Louis. Everybody just calls it East St. Louis. It's not even a, a, a thing because it's like a, a town. So there's like a lot of other shit there. And supposedly this is like where all the high crime rate comes from in St. Louis. It's like this is where all the crime goes down. I haven't really seen that much crime over there when I go out. I think, you know, just this area where they have these clubs and these clubs literally just never close. It's like these two clubs. Um, there's we went to Pops. This is the one that the two days talking about. And then there's uh, what's this other one called? This uh, what's the name of this shit? I can't even remember. There's another one I haven't been to in a minute. That one also never closes. And then there's like two or three strip clubs around there, but they don't even take off the panties. So I don't even consider them strip clubs. So, you know, hey. it is it is what it is. <laughs> but yeah, those places it's, it's just like it's just like a party area. If you if you if you're done partying for the night but you don't want to go home, 
you just go out there and just keep the keep the party going. Well, honestly, I had a good ass time and it was great to be around that kind of vibe because I think we can segue into our main topic. Anyway, what I was going to say was that I'm surrounded by academics and people who are very pristine and proper in their career. And it was good to be around some ratchetness, man, some some turn up energy. Yo, yo, let me, I'm going to tell you a story. The first, the first weekend I went out in St. Louis, man, I ended up going to East St. Louis and you hear all these things about how crazy it is. But so me, me and my boy Rahul, we, uh, we went out and we were just like out and we met these two random chicks that like <laughs> just randomly took us, put us in their car and then took us to East St. Louis. We yo, were so inept. blackout drunk, literally dude. They were like, yeah, we got, we're going to take you somewhere. We we're like, where I'm like, and then Rahul is an idiot, so I'm like, no, man, let's not go. And he, he was like, dude, let's go, dude, let's figure it out, we'll see, it'll be fun. And then we end up over there, dude, I don't even know where I'm at. Like, I black out, then I, like, come back to, and it's, like, 7 a.m. in the morning, and I'm, like, walking around outside. This is, like, in the middle of this place. I don't even, you have to see it to, like, understand what's going on out there, man. But it's, like, just ratchet, just, like, ratchet people, like, the... The, the townies, townies, townie, townie people, like, this is, <laughs> this is like, yeah, but it's like, but yeah, it's like, you have to see them, man. They're like, it's like, it's like semi-white trash, semi-hood, like, it's just a whole different environment, man. I, I don't think that place, this type of thing exists in Atlanta. You, you, I don't, <laughs> you, you have to like see it to understand. It doesn't exist in Atlanta. Yo, I don't know. Like, this is a whole different thing. I don't know if you've ever been to Edgewood during the daytime, but that definitely <laughs> feels like it gives me some vibes of what you're talking about, of just like homeless people just out and about, just even people that look like, you know, they might have some kind of money or something, just willy nilly, just ratchet, <laughs> looking like they came from like the early 2000s with still like mm-hmm. clothes, jabodes and stuff everywhere. Yes. Yes. People wearing a giant ass affliction shirts and, you know, looking like they just cooked up some meth, you know, three hours ago. Like, it's just all these people out there, man. But you know, Yo, so it is. That's what it where is. you is. That where you took Tunde when he came up. <laughs> yes. Yep. Sounds like sounds like a little spot, man. Sounds like a good time. Yo. All right. Speaking of, this is also a really good segue into like our main topic today. But I also just came back from a trip that uh, was a little bit. I mean, I don't want to call it ratchet, but we were in the Dominican Republic for one of my boys' bachelor parties and. You know, let's not forget the Dominican Republic is a developing country. Like, sure, the resorts and stuff are nice and like the water is beautiful. Da, 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 da. It's a tourist destination. But we left, you know, we were adventurous. We were not scared of these fake news, fucking uh, CNN reports of people dying. Another thing that I want to talk about when we get to our main topic. This is right? fake news. <laughs> yes. So, all right. I'll, quick, quick disclaimer for the uh, audience. Uh in the past, like two or so years, nine uh, Americans have died going to the uh, Dominican Republic, uh, and they actually haven't been able to kind of pinpoint the reasoning for it. People are still like, you know, guessing around and just doing bad science of like, oh man, we think it's this, so we're gonna heavily react and put out uh, 10, 20 articles for like one body that was found, and like that dude was seventy eight years old. So, do you really even know if it was, you know, uh, connected to causes. anything in the DR? Yeah. Yeah, so we go down there and we have a great time. We we do venture off the resort a couple of times. We go to some local spots that were dope. We may or may not have hit some strip clubs. Uh, we can discuss that once we uh, cut this recording and you know talk about it a little later. But um, I do want to say it was an incredible time, fellas. 
we got to make moves. We got to make that trip, man. Uh, it was it's incredible. Okay. I, I'll tell you more off the podcast. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I think we're all unified by our aspiration to do some ratchet shit every once in a while. Um, and we all hail from all Atlanta. You know, well, yeah, that's that's actually true. But we have careers <laughs> that we have to focus on. And honestly, uh, quick, quick side note. I'm so surprised that there's anything or any place more ratchet than Atlanta. So, so, so. well, so, well Atlanta is the ratchet. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What was that? What was that? What was that? I don't know what that was. That shit right there. It All was right, definitely cool. Herschel. Right, continue, Herschel continue. rubbing his beard on the damn microphone. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> oh, yeah, bro. I, I grew a beard while I was in DR, man. You know, you see these fake asses, man. They got fake beards and stuff down there, too. You can get anything, man. It's <laughs> right, big well, time. They, they got the, the beard the beard weave. Beard oh, weave, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, real talk. They're down there. I'm not even kidding. Yo, that's science for your ass. <laughs> but, all right, anyway, so as I was saying, we all are unified by the fact that we like to be a little ratchet every once in a while, if possible, all the time. But we have careers, which is what we're talking about today. Our careers, you know, or at least what we have accomplished thus far in academia, in the world of science. And if you haven't listened to a Real Talk Me Out the headlines before, you'll know that we have hot takes and unpopular opinions and today we're going to discuss with you about science and academia. Um, so I am a uh, analyst for the CDC. Um, that's actually a different position than what I had the last time we actually discussed these things. Um, I was working as a uh, biostatistician for Georgia State University. I recently got picked up by the feds, man. You know, uh, we big time now. I'm actually working on the uh, big uh, opioid uh, epidemic study that like, you know, that you've been hearing publicized for the past maybe two, three years. And they are like, all we do is talk drugs every single day. We talk heroin, we talk stimulants. We even dabble into like some cocaine, some uh, uh, cannabinoids, particularly synthetic cannabinoids that have been fucking people up lately. Um, It's really, really interesting shit, man. Um, But essentially what I'm doing is uh, taking all of the, uh, let's say anytime someone overdoses, uh, the EMT or the emergency department or the doctors, whoever finds them, they have to uh, mark this down in their system. Like, okay, chief complaint. Why did you come in? Why are we here? Why are we administering whatever service to save your life right now? What's going on? Um, That and uh, these discharge discharge diagnoses. And I'm sure Ahi being a physician could probably speak to some of this as well. But uh, every every doctor or every EMT or whatever will put in some information. But they are all different people. They're all of different like education levels. Motherfuckers put in any old random bullshit, right? It's not always saying clearly, oh, this was a heroin overdose. They might beat around the bush and be talking on some bullshit or, or just make up their own you know, normal code that's in the area. My job is to decipher what the most common uh, traits are that someone might enter into this system. And within like a 48 hour span, we, we would be able to pull these records and identify if like there's a significant outbreak of overdoses happening in an area. So, uh, you know, like, let's say within a 24 hour span, five people come in and they all had a heroin overdose or they all had like naloxone or uh, Narcan like given to them or like they were nodding off or all these other symptoms that kind of define 
a heroin overdose. Uh, it's my job to run the numbers and analyze and recognize, okay, this is a problematic area. They need this information. They need these resources. They need to be, to know what the fuck is going on for the next time it may come in. So we can kind of control that problem. So. It's okay. Dope, Damn. So you basically have access to data sets related to the opioid uh, situation and you're providing insights to the CDC so they can do some shit to fix it. Yes. Yeah, big time, man. Um, we are only getting it from like, uh, 33 states right now. Like we're trying to expand the program. Like they're, they're giving out, uh, tens of millions of dollars to fund this, this big program about, uh, essentially surveillance and prevention. Um, obviously the first point being surveillance, uh, identifying that there's an issue, there's something going on and then prevention, you know, setting up programs. All right. So y'all are administering, are handing like this person who has overdosed because they, a person who's overdosed is likely to overdose again. You're handing them like a kit for a naloxone just in case some shit happens next time. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty dope. I'm trying to get into some geospatial shit with them uh, very soon because my background also deals and dabbles in um, geospatial analytics, uh, but that's pretty tough. So we got to figure out if the data is good enough to even use that shit yet. Because as you can Im imagine, there's a lot of trash data okay. pretty much in any industry. All right. Well, thank you for giving us some of that background. For those that have listened to Real Talk Beyond the Headlines before, you'll know that Herschel was in grad school. He finished grad school. Now he's doing big things with the CDC. Big things? Yes, sir. Um, the instigator, however, has been in academia for quite some time and going like all the way back years to, right going all the way back to college days to emory you know what i'm saying instigator what's, what's really good man where you at in your academic life right now dang so this is a long it's a long story so yeah, I, mean, tell I can us take everything. you back oh yeah okay Go back. so i can take you back to i guess i mean the beginning of college was when i first started getting into research i was i uh Essentially, I just like heard that Embry was like a research school. I didn't know anything about research. I had been super interested in science, like biology, chemistry, all that stuff as a high school kid. So I was like, well, you know, let's see what it all comes from. Where's the, the information that people are putting in these textbooks? Who's figured it out? So people talk about, you know, biology research and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, let's see. Let's see what it's all about. So I, I emailed my uh, academic advisor, like, at the end of first semester, I was trying to figure out how to even get involved in lab research. And so she was like, she was like a, a PI. She had her own lab. And she was like, hey, you know, you can like come and rotate in my lab and see if you like it. You know, we can we have some projects. So she, you know, gave me a tour of the lab. And um, I was like, cool, cool, cool. So she was working on uh, aphids. So she was studying how, um, how aphids are essentially how they typically interact with their environment. So aphids, these things are essentially agricultural pests, but they have a couple of interesting scientific um, qualities about them. So they reproduce asexually, so you can have a very, um, you know, isolated genetic background within your study. So you can have a lot of reproducibility within the study, but also they have a very um, interesting immune system where they have a lot of uh, symbiotic bacteria. So, you know, all this whole microbiome stuff that people are talking about in humans. Well, you know, people have known these insects have had these microbiome bacteria that live in their gut that confer a lot of different resistance and things like that to different pathogens or allows them to better metabolize um, some different plants, things like that. So 
we were doing a whole bunch of research on that. I was doing more research on competition between aphid species. The idea was that um, if, you know, there's a certain aphid species with, you know, essentially the same genetic background, but one has a beneficial microbiome, uh, what, how come that microbiome doesn't, you know, take over and spread everywhere? Because if it's a fit, fitness advantage, it should allow that aphid to be, you know, essentially the dominant one. So it should be able to to outlast the other one. But we found that that wasn't the case. So I was doing, you know, a bunch of research with that. Okay, then, okay, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I just want to let everyone listening to RTBTH know that don't ever say you ain't never learned nothing because you did. A he, I mean instigator. <laughs> Thank you for taking us down the journey. <laughs> Maybe not all the way far that back. Perhaps okay. Okay, so I can, I can, yeah, yeah. So I'll give you you know a little less detail, but that was that was kind of like the foundation of like my biology experience. Right. All right. No, um, that, yeah, I think absolutely. that was that's good. That's really so, good stuff, man. Keep going. So then, so then I, so then I did some HIV research. So that summer, I got an opportunity to work in uh, one of the HIV labs at Emory. Emory is a really big. Um, vaccine center. So they said they work on a whole different bunch of viruses. Like I was working right when the the swine flu was really big. I was working like right next door to the you know the lab that was working on the swine flu vaccine. They even these dudes when the bird flu came out, like they they enrolled me in a study. I got paid a ton of money to like get to get placebo, dog. Like I can't. I shouldn't even be saying that because they they shouldn't have told me that. So it's a Double blind randomized controlled trial, but <laughs> and it's published like it's a real thing. They but told you I wasn't, bruh, man. This is what happens when you like have the inside scoop. They were like, so yeah, we basically have filled all of the um, the treatment group, and there's a way. So basically, you can know if you're getting the the vaccine because. It takes a long time for them to prepare it. And so if it comes back within like 15, 20 minutes, like you're definitely not getting the vaccine. And so my thing came back in like five minutes and like there was no sight reaction. It was like fucking saline. <laughs> so like Yo, I knew that, that it was, was not supposed to tell you that. <laughs> I know. I was I was like eyes wide open. Like, Yo, why are you telling me this right now? But, you know, it is what it is. They were drawing blood and whatnot. So anyway, so, I, you know, I was involved in all that kind of stuff. So I got to see that whole interface between science and medicine where people who are doing, you know, some of the most basic science on cell culture. They're getting these viruses and, you know, it's directly translatable to humans. But also I had the other side where I could see more of the naturalistic perspective of biology, how everything's interconnected and how, you know, you can't look at one thing in isolation and understand it fully. So I got that good background. And so when I was thinking about applying to medical school, so I'd always wanted to be a physician. This was something I'd wanted to do since I was like three or four. Um, I was like kind of torn a bit because I had developed this, you know, affinity for science and doing research was a big part of my college experience. So I was like, well, God, what am I going to do? So then I, you know, I, I started doing some research and I remember that I had heard about MD PhD programs back when I first applied to, to, uh, to college. One of the college counselors was talking about, um, you know, a lot of people from Emory were applying to, uh, medical school, but then there's even some people who do MD PhDs and that's like a possibility and they have an MD PhD program at Emory. So I was like, Oh shoot, that's a good idea. Let me, you know, think about doing that. So I just applied to those programs. I had a strong enough research background, um, you know, for that to be a, a viable opportunity. So I, you know, I 
interviewed a bunch of places, and I ended up going to uh, Wash U, Washington University in St. Louis. And um, yeah, so essentially, I, you know, I came out here, you know, to do that double that double threat. Apparently, this is what people call it. You know, people like to pat themselves on the back, but it's a you know it's 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 a long Ooh, haul. It's spicy. an eight year program. Yeah, you know, it's a it's an eight year program, and so people end up you do two years of medical school four or five sometimes you could do three years it just depends but typically it's about four years of to, to get your phd and then you go back and finish the last two years of medical school so it's an eight-year program and that's not even it so most people end up you know afterwards they go and do a residency and fellowship and then they the the idea of what the nih wants you to do is start a lab so then they have you on this you know pipeline essentially to become a pi the k so, award yep you get that k award once you get into your fellowship and it's like actually it's like much, I feel like it's much easier for MD, PhDs to get a K than it is for like a straight MD. I think that's the one advantage that you do get from doing the PhD. I mean, amongst, you know, the, the experience and whatnot. But yeah. I think that the NIH really kind of pushes that uh, that training pathway for you. So, you know, it's a, it's a very long haul. By the time you're, you know, independent, even if you, like, didn't skip anything, you know, take any years off and you just went straight through, you know, you can't you can expect to be, you know, out as an independent scientist physician at the age of, you know, 36. That's when you kind of can expect that this will, you know, come to where you are working on your own projects. Because before that, you're going to be, as a grad student, you'll be working on your PI's project. It may be something you're interested in, but at the end of the day, you're going to realize that, you know, this isn't exactly what you want to do. You're a different person. You're not a PI. So you, you know, then you go and you go off into the medical world and you're not really doing that much research. And then when you finally come back, you kind of need to do a postdoc. You need to go work in somebody's lab to get your skills back, but also to build a project that you can, you know, take and become independent as a scientist. So then you have to go and work semi on somebody else's project. And, you know, before you're able to get your own thing going, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a while. So it's not, it's not for the weak hearted. It's not for the impatient. It, uh, you know, but there's a lot of benefits. So one of the reasons, so I'll just tell you one more thing. So one of the, the reasons why I ended up doing it was because of the flexibility. Cause I, once I realized that I didn't want to practice medicine full time, I just realized that there had to be, you know, I wanted to be able to be as flexible as I as possible. So I could do science, I could do things in medicine, I can do things in business, I can do things, you know, in the government, public sector, I could do all this stuff with my background. So I was kind of hedging my my opportunities in the future by doing this. So that's yeah. kind of what I ended up doing. But um, yeah, so I got a PhD. I did a lot of genetics research and uh, yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much it. I'm on the last year of medical school so i'm about to graduate may 2020 okay quantitative genetics to be specific but you know that's a different Mm -hmm. story for a different day also i just want to say to all the emory people anyone listening to real talk beyond the headlines who knows me it's going down may 2020 in st louis to celebrate the completion of a he's degrees so come out let's turn up let's get ratchet but also i want to rewind a little bit i want to rewind a little bit herschel you heard when the instigator said that going for the MD PhD is not for the impatient. So I just want to know why you're doing it, instigator. Because <laughs> yeah, I, right? I, I, I had to hedge my bets, man. I had to. I got. I got a hedge, man. You got a hedge. <laughs> you know, like you. 
I, there's, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's some, I, so there, I, there was once upon a time that I wanted to be a PI. I thought that was something that was something that I would want to do. But then I realized that that pathway was that for me. And there's a lot of problems with science that kind of, uh, kind of pissed me off. Ooh. So, and, and it's a battle not worth fighting. Spicy. Okay. So I realized that I got to go, I got to go other ways. Okay. So Yo, I will, do you want to, do you want to describe what a PI is for our listeners? Oh, I mean, it's a principal investigator. Yeah. 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 Principal investigator. So essentially it, it just means that you are in charge of a research project. Um, and so essentially if you're in charge of a research project, that means that you have the funding, the administrative capabilities to, you know, to get that work done. Um, and you have the plan and you have the ability to put the final story together. That's kind of the idea of a, PI and the so-called research questions that are ever so important yeah. to investigate. But the instigator has a long history in academia. So as far as I'm concerned, his opinion is very valuable and I want to hear it. As for myself, I don't have a history in academic research, but I've worked in data analysis since graduating mostly along with mental health counseling where I got my master's and now I'm a PhD student getting a degree in counseling psychology, the goal for me is to be a psychologist and to use that skill, whether it's in data analysis or actual clinical work, to the best of my ability to give back to the world. But I have to participate in the research, yeah. you know, as I pursue my PhD. And I've been exposed particularly to the NIH path. And I've been to a conference I've uh, wrote a paper and submitted it and so I have exposure I've worked with other projects mainly doing just different analysis type things and I have some opinions so the point of the conversation today is to describe and express them me personally specifically down the NIH route and I truly respect and appreciate all the research that you know these organizations do I do I am very much um, a believer of the scientific method and the, the process, the methodical and slow process that each research project adds to the overall theory. I'm a big, big believer in that, but it is a ruthless path and it's a very kind of uninteresting path too. That's my main hot take, you know. What does the instigator have to say? What do you think? I mean, coming from like the perspective, like the people, you know, where I am, I mean, my my whole thing is like there. A lot of them are are doing good work, you know. I'd probably say about fifty percent of them. You know, it's hard to describe because there's there's some fundamental issues with the way people become PIs. Um, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on people who you know either publish well or they speak well or you know they basically just worked in the right lab at the right time. You get a lot of benefits from, you know, some of those serendipitous uh, occurrences that, you know, play into your career. Uh, so a lot of people, you know, they get to these very high levels and they don't really have what it takes to to drive a research project forward. And by do, by that, I mean, you know, they don't have some of the people skills in order to lead. They don't know how to select the right candidates. Um, to work in their lab, they they don't really know how to evaluate good ideas a lot of times because they're so used to thinking about things one way, and everybody's told them that they're brilliant, and you know they they can continue to process things the same way. 
Um, you know, for some people though, the, you know, the other half, those, those guys, they, they're very open-minded. They, you know, they're trying to learn every day and build their skill set. I mean, those are the ones that are actually the most successful. A lot of times you find that a lot of these labs, they end up fizzling out within a few, you know, a few years, they get that first grant, you know, and then after that, they can't get it renewed. So, you know, a lot of the PIs who don't have a lot of the fanfare, you know, on their career, you know, early on, those are typically the ones that, um, you know, that, that do good, solid science and they actually make discoveries. And those are the ones that, you know, I have the most respect for. But there's a lot of folks in, in research that are PIs that really have no business being there. Um, and I mean, and it's not just me. It's not me that'll just say that. It's other people. I have, you know, there's so many Call examples out. I could give you. So Call many examples out. I could give you of people who have no clue, you know, but. <laughs> Yo, John, um, you know, time, John, you know time, who you are. <laughs> You ain't time, shit, time will time time will catch up with all these folks. I mean, it's, Catherine, it's inevitable. You've been fucking up, Catherine. I see those typos, Catherine. Sounds like sounds like you got a couple. Sounds like you got a couple of hot takes to share with us, Herschel. Yo, listen, man. In academia, there. I mean, I 100% agree with it. What what the instigator is saying here, but there are very many times where people will, you know, uh, uh, assimilate or, or or climb to positions where. Uh, they really have no business uh, leading others. Um, they may just, you know, may have an, a myopic view of of how science should be done. Um, where you know we're we're essentially practicing. Uh, we're we're trying to answer questions that we don't know the answers to. So if you're always, you know, more focused on, uh, as Ahi put it, you know, the the uh, your own interests rather than you know the greater scope or being personable and being able to generate or create a lab that can uh, work together as a team, uh, you're going to fail. Um, and I see that all the time. Uh, every once in a while, you'll see somebody who's gained tenure from doing it. And I mean, you know, sometimes people will still politic their way and slip through the cracks. But for the most part, uh, if people are not cut out for it, you do see them wash out very quickly. Man, I, I agree with that. But it's, it's weird. It's like either you get bounced quickly or you just skate the whole way. And I've seen some skating, man. And it's just incredible to me how some people can, you know, just kind of just piggyback or skate to 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 success, you know. They and, slip, man. I mean, they slip that is through. life. That is life. And, I mean, we all benefit from the finesse. Like, let's, let's not trip. Like, I, I do also seek out opportunities where I may be able to cut a corner and still succeed. But I also know or I can discern where, like, I need to come with my shit or, you know, they're going to show me the door. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. We, we also are, you know, some young black males out here that have grown up knowing, like, yo, we got to, you know, come with our A game or they would definitely be, you know, look on to the next candidate. So, I mean, I can see it. I can see it both ways. Yeah. Well, I would like to sum up my whole take and my perspective. And I want to go into the one of the topics that the instigator shared with us, censor of the box thinking. But firstly, I think the, to summarize my perspective is like, again, I appreciate academic research and the principal investigator pathway, which adds to the overall theory of everything we know about science. But it's just like, it's, it's such a stringent and strict path. Like you have to do everything exactly as it's been laid out for you and the way it's been done previously. And it doesn't really encourage much creativity and it very, it feels very restrictive. So that's, that's, that's me. That's me. Instigator, can you uh, 
enlighten us on the center of a box thinking epidemic? Yeah, it's an epidemic, man. It's like, you know, everybody's heard of, you know, out of the box thinking. You know, that's what people kind of champion as, as, as great ideas, like people who come with different perspectives and can approach a question in a, a novel way and actually get solutions that, you know, previous attempts have not been able to get. Well, I think nowadays there is a problem of center of the box thinking, I think especially in academics where um, people who are pointing out like truths that are not within the mainstream ideas of what, you know, what's hot right now, which is, you know, what a lot of science is. Oh, this is a new hot method. We got to apply it to everything. You know, if you're not, if you're not thinking about it the same way, all those people are thinking about it, they're, they're going to shun you. They're going to, you know, essentially act like you're a crazy person or you're, you're saying something that's illogical. But when you ask them, you know, when you ask people, you know, okay, yeah, so yeah, if you don't really agree with that, like what, what do you think is wrong with it? You know, they really don't have any real critiques. They, they don't really, they don't really assess problems the way you would expect a scientist to do so. Um, everybody just wants to, you know, just ride the wave and everybody just wants to do essentially the same thing. You, I mean, you see this a lot in genetics where there's a new modality, there's a new, you know, method that people are using single cells, you know, is a big thing now. There's, you know, a couple of years ago, it was this chromatin confirmation where you can look at the structure of DNA and see what's interacting. Like literally everybody and their mom was trying to do these methods. It didn't even matter that they didn't really understand what it meant. They just were doing it because it was new. And the NIH was going to give people money to, to try out this new hot stuff because everybody thinks the same. So the people sitting on the grant committees that are going to give the PIs grants, those people are part of that community. So they're thinking the same way, you know, for the most part that, you know, the rest of the community is thinking. So they're all just going to be riding that wave. So if you're the one that, you know, presents that stuff first in your grant application, you're going to get the grant just because it's that hot shit that everybody's like, oh, yeah. Even though there's no merit scientifically to what you're doing, people do it anyway. It happens so much. And I mean, A, I think it's a waste of money, but it's also a waste of time. Um, you know, it's 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 a an insult to the scientific process of actually thinking through a problem like, okay, what's the mechanism? What are we testing here? How is this going to show us, you know, what we're doing? And a lot of times people don't know. They just skip through that stuff and it's the most, you know, superficial explanations that they give you. And they write these papers afterwards that are just like, we did this. It seems like this worked the way we thought. And then they move on. It's like, then they hop to the next thing. I mean, they just, there's people who've been doing this for years. You know, it's center of the box thinking. Everybody thinks the same way. They all do the same things. And if you don't follow along, then they try to shit on you. You know. Wow. That was very well said. You dropped a lot of very interesting quotes. I think you said something about people doing things, even though it lacks any scientific merit, which is kind of how I feel in some of the situations I've been in, in academic settings. It's like, you know, you can do something. Just because, like I said, it's it's a pathway and it's very restrictive and you have to fall in line or you won't be able to progress specifically for me through the NIH pathway of eventually getting the PI grant, the R01 or whatever or whatever other grant. But yeah, yeah, I, I can certainly sympathize with this center of the box thinking theory that you feel, also claim is an epidemic. Herschel? I feel like it's tough uh, because, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, money 
is a big factor in damn near all research. You know, very few people are able to fund their own research studies. And even if they are, you know, we're going to question it. Like, yo, you paid for your own stuff. Mm, I don't know if that's as valid as if you, you know, wrote this up and, you know, received a grant from NIH or whomever. Um, but yeah, have, my work in research and development has definitely, you know, highlighted that, you know, if it's not going to provide fast results or profitable results, um, many times those projects get the ax very quickly. And it, it creates, you know, those situations where you're, you know, everybody's center of the box, as he said. Absolutely. Well, let's move on. Center of the box, man. Center of no the box. No creativity in science. No creativity in science nowadays, man. You just have a whole bunch of people just doing the same shit. Kids these days, man. Make science millennials. Make science creative again. <laughs> Amen to that. That's what we need. All right. Well, you know what? There is a segment in RTBTH. Uh, just search hashtag RTBTH, and I am certain you will find us on the interwebs. But we have a segment. It's called Get Your Mans. There's probably lots of Get Your Manses on the internet on different podcasts, but ours is the best. And we are going to do some Get Your Mans right now. Okay, I got one for you. You know what? So when you're coming up and you're, you're a young nigga in the game of science, and you know, you, you there are certain schools or universities or scientists that you look up to, and you are just... You know, they, they are they are so esteemed in their science production and capabilities like Emory. Emory is one of those schools. Another one of those schools which would claim to be like Emory or could would claim to want to be Emory. Duke University was recently um, they were recently convicted, I guess, or whatever. But they have to pay the federal government like. $200 million for basically fabricating research. Are you guys familiar with this re- with this story? No. Yeah, yeah. I read, I read a, a little blurb about it. Essentially, they were, like, fabricating data on grants. Like, well, PIs. I don't, I don't know if it was a systematic thing. Maybe, maybe not. But um, there was a bunch of PIs who had been, like, getting all these grants. And essentially, they were just, like, making up a lot of the data that they presented in the grants. So it would convince the people who were on the study. It's like, oh, wow, these guys got some great stuff coming. Like, oh, yeah, we got to fund them. And they were just eating the grant money. I mean, the reason why they, they charge Duke, I think, is because the school receives the funds, actually. Mm-hmm. So these these NIS grants go directly to the school. So, yeah. you know, then they distribute it however they, you know, they set it up with their PIs. But, yeah, dude, it's it's crazy. I mean... I'm yeah. not surprised though. Duke's a fucked up place. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're gonna leave those hot takes for another podcast. But Herschel, so so you haven't heard about this uh, story previously? Nah, go ahead and tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, the instigator meant pretty much said everything. They they fabricated data on their applications for grants. They had to pay back 112.5 million. Check this: the whistleblower, some guy named Mr. Joseph Thomas. Um, I guess he was like a research technician or something, and he was the one that informed the government of these transgressions and is now awarded $33.75 million in the settlement. Whoa. I didn't even read that part. That's yeah. crazy. And I think there's some kind of law about, you know, um, yeah. doing these sort of whistleblowing things. Um, do your Googles be, you know, but 
because of his actions, because of coming forth with the truth, which is what science is all about. It's about truth, right? But you got organizations like Duke and who knows where else because Duke is supposed to be the top of the line research institution, right? At least in my estimation. But you got organizations like Duke fabricating re- um, information to get grants. And again, science is supposed to be about the truth. So that is why I have to say, get your mans to Duke University. This is unbelievable. As I said, if you're a young nigga in the game of science coming up, you look up to organizations like Duke because of their science production and their uh, pursuit of the truth. But then they're also fabricating research and they got to give a dude $30 million. Get your mans. That's what I'm seeing here. From what I'm seeing here, they also named the scientist who was fabricating shit by a name as well. this biologist, Aaron Potts Kent, who had 17 papers retracted, we need to specifically say, get your mans to this scientist. Because it's not just the school. Like, this particular person was doing bad science and fucking it up for everybody, man. I, I feel like it's important to uh, put a name on it when, I mean, $200 million is on the line, to be honest. But hey. Wow. Okay. That's true. That's, yeah. that's fair. So I don't, I don't know exactly about all of the fabrication stuff and... You know what kind of grants they were getting? Again, do your Googles be? But is it, are you suggesting that it was like one dude behind this whole thing, Herschel? Is that what you saw? No, I, it does look like it. I don't want to say it was systematic, but it looks like there was a particular biologist who was faking a bunch of research. Uh, uh, the grants were submitted, and it may be that Duke found out after the grants were submitted. Uh, but even still, they had the opportunity to retract the applications um, and they did not. They were still awarded all this money, probably spent all this money um, before the whistleblower came in and was like, yo, what the fuck is this? This is bad science. So uh, they also it looks like they tried to dismiss the case, but it ended up going to a higher court. And I mean, again, Duke acknowledges that it was wrong and that they knew that this lady was faking data. So. I mean, shit is crazy out here. And this is all coming from, I don't know the name of this journal, the AAAS, uh, American Association oh, yeah, that's the, for the Advancement of Science. So the big science journal. Yeah, in the AAAS. Yeah. Yo, are well, you a member now that we... Oh, me? Uh, Instigator, no. are you a member? Yeah, oh, I was going to say. Oh, no, definitely not. They have to, like, induct you, man. You got to do, like, real shit. <laughs> Theoretically. Theoretically, you gotta do real shit. (laughs) I see the become a member link right here. I could probably pay the subscription in and be up in there. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I was thinking. Oh, I mean, yeah, you can join like and become like a member, but like, I'm not saying like a fellow or something. Yeah, they have like a yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I I wouldn't pay any money to join that man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't get you anything. I mean, you can get access to the journal, right? Yeah, I can also get access through my school. Or uh, yeah, but for everybody else, you know, there there is open access resources on the internet for people who don't mind using some illegal websites to access research papers and books. So, uh, yeah, the internet is very powerful. Shit is crazy. That is another thing. Yo, did y'all? Did y'all? Did y'all? Oh, I was just gonna. I was gonna drop another. um, I don't even know if it's a get your man's, but. You heard about all these um, Chinese scientists being like kicked out of the U.S. because they they think they're out here stealing data and taking them back to China, yo. They're definitely stealing that shit. Yo, China, get your your man's China. (laughs) 
Not China is the yo, one who I told was... him to do it, man. <laughs> Chinese right, government yo, was man. like, yo, steal them secrets, bro. Come Bring her back, man. We'll make, you a, we'll make you a PI back here, man. We'll start you a clean lab. <laughs> you don't got to listen to nobody Chinese no more. Chinese iPhones over there, man. I mean, you heard Soldier Boy got caught up. That man Soldier Boy got caught up making fake uh, video game systems. What? Get your man Soldier yeah. Boy. Soldier Boy, man. He's yeah, all man. Kind of crazy. The, the Soldier Console. This guy's. Yeah, Soldier Console. <laughs> all right, I got to wait. Tell him about Oh, God. But yo, so wait, wait. <laughs> so are people getting kicked out of like like top tier research institutions? Does that be yes. fucked up? Yes, they are, man. They're legit kicking people out. Like I just seen this. Um, I don't even know which schools it was. I mean, they're like non-trivial schools in New York that were doing it. Um, a couple other places, man. They had, they kicked them out because they were like, these people are, are stealing data. They're like running back home and telling, spreading the spreading the knowledge, like all the secrets and the you know the lab, lab uh, information that's not published. You know. Wow. Headline. I don't. I don't. I don't Texas know where Cancer I... Center. Texas Cancer Center ousts three scientists over Chinese data theft concerns. Wow. Uh, they stole from among fifty-five medical research facilities and then contacted the NIH, who we've been talking about. Uh, about these foreign government ties that these dudes have been, I mean, they basically been stealing. Ain't no way to put around it. And yeah, yeah. And there's all these Chinese scientists who've been getting money from the Chinese government. They haven't been reporting it, um, and which is, you know, quote unquote illegal. I mean, I don't, I don't know how serious that is, but you know, that kind of gives you, you know, the the hint that they may be having some sort of, you know, illicit connection with foreign foreign powers in terms of accessing some data some united states sponsored data so yeah. that's a that's a that's a real shit man you know it's it's <laughs> i think it's hilarious though man because i'm like what did you expect them to do like <laughs> if nigeria was like yo man yo we trying to do some genetics research man what kind of stuff you working on over there i'd be like yo i'm gonna tell you <laughs> Send that fat check. I'm gonna slide that date over there. Feds, I'm gonna, feds come I'm get this. Send dude. that date over real come quick. Get these Nigerians. <laughs> come get these Nigerians. No, 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 no. Cut the podcast. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. We definitely said it. I don't trust these dudes. Yo. <laughs> I don't think it's good, but I mean, I don't know what you expect them to do. That's what I'm saying. I mean, the Chinese are very resourceful, the Chinese government. You know what I'm saying, man? They'll do what it takes to get. What is necessary in order to make the co- the country more powerful, or at least more powerful than the United States? And if that's still in data, man, you know, I just hope those Chinese scientists are getting that check. So, well, in the AJC, man, they was talking about two Emory um, researchers that didn't disclose their Chinese funding and their Chinese ties, man. Did they get bounced? I don't know if they got bounced. I don't think they got bounced, but. There's, uh, they're in trouble, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I would say that's a get your man. Following up on that one, man, get your man's question mark to the guy who used the CRISPR technology last year on those babies. I don't know if I think that's a get <laughs> your man's. Wait, did he? I thought they said he faked it. Like, did he really do it? I haven't seen any stories about him them saying he faked it. I think it was for real. Oh, 
I, I mean, you, you're probably right. I don't. I don't know. I just. I. It's just like yo. Nobody has done that. I don't know how he was able to do it. Some <laughs> random happened? dude. What's What's the CRISPR babies? Some random Chinese dude, man. Yeah, he um, CRISPR and babies use CRISPR to knock out whatever gene would make them susceptible to uh, the HIV virus because I think they the father of the babies. Um, and they're twins. Um, the father of the babies had contracted it. Um, Herschel, this, this scientist used CRISPR. And if you had been listening or if you had read anything about CRISPR prior, all of the scientists had like these ethical boundaries that they had metaphorically put in place as to how CRISPR should be used. And no one has agreed that it should be used on any living human or uh, embryo or fetus or whatever or any human cells that would, are supposed to become human. Basically, no human interaction or any human use of the CRISPR technology. But this dude did. So he got fired by so his university. Were... So it was unethical what he was doing? I mean, I don't even know. If I mean, any... theoretically. Theoretically, right. But, uh, you know, ethics are are up for debate. That's you know? true. I mean, if these babies live a good life and are not able to contract HIV and everything else goes fine for them in their life, their, you know, development and whatnot, I mean, is it that big of a deal? Yeah, so the only, the only, prob- the only problem with um, that mutation, I think it's about CCR5, um, apparently, so, this, so there are people with genetic knockouts of this gene in the population. So a lot of Scandinavians, there's something like five to 10% Scandinavians have that mutation. It's just circulating in their population. But apparently, um, uh, apparently like these people have a lower life expectancy. For some reason, these people tend to die earlier. They don't really know why. Um, so, you know, there's always a cost to some of these things. I mean, maybe it's not, it's not going to affect these kids. But it's just a, an observation people have made about having this mutation, at least the ones that had the naturally occurring variant of it. Hmm. So, there, you know, there's a th- theoretically like a negative. I mean, nothing, nothing comes without a cost. This is, not, this is why I was talking about, you know, my, my work in the aphids, you know, looking at populations. Nothing, there's no 100% fit organism for every environment. You know, the environment changes, the, the conditions change, the exposures change. So you're not ever going to be the most prepared for everything. It's not possible. So, you know, these kids have their own susceptibilities. And the other problem with the CRISPR is that it has a lot of off-target effects. So sometimes it'll bind and cut random other places, and you'll have gene destruction, essentially, and that it could, you know, cause cancer or any, something else down the line. You never know. Mm-hmm. Well... That is some science for your ass. Instigator, are you saying right here on Real Talk Beyond the Headlines, are you saying on the record that using CRISPR is ethical? Is that what you're telling oh, us? Oh, I think it, I think it's ethical. I mean, <laughs> oh, really? you got to you got to you got to you got to I mean, as far as I'm concerned, man, people got to take risks, man. You know, ah. if you're willing to put your kids up for that, you got to you got to live with the cost, man. I mean, I wouldn't do that to my kids until somebody else has tried it before me. I can see what happens. <laughs> But, I mean, I understand the technology, so it's not like I'm uninformed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't be the Wait. first one because I know all the problems with it. And we can't – we haven't solved them yet in a consistently, you know, convincing way. So, 
All right. So yes or no, ethical or unethical? Oh, I think it's ethical. I mean, I mean, like I I said, I wouldn't do it right off the bat. I mean, people are talking about, oh, we're going to crisper, you know, jeans to make my kids blonde hair and blue eyed and six foot five. I mean, all right, you go ahead and do that, man. But natural selection will show you why that's probably not a good idea. Um, you know, there's there's no there's no avoiding it. Genetics has worked a certain way for billions of years, and there's a reason why it works the way it does. And you yeah, can go ahead and do whatever though, you want. We, I we're mean, fighting we're fighting natural selection with science, bro. Like it's hella dumb oh, exactly. people that should be dead. So, I mean, you know, where do you yeah. draw that line? I mean, but that's the thing is that you can't predict what's going to happen down the line, right? So you, you you might think you're saving somebody from, you know, one outcome and you're making them more susceptible to a different outcome because it's sure. two different sides of the same coin, you know? There's like all the genes and all of the, you know, the things in the in the DNA in humans' genomes are they're repeated. A lot of them are just genes that have been modified in one way or another. There's gene clusters, it's like they're all duplicated, but they all have separate functions in different cells, but they all look the same. I mean, you know, changing one of those things might affect something down the line that you may not anticipate, you know? So, I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. I mean, if you want to be doing all that stuff, go ahead. We'll see what happens. I'll be here to watch. <laughs> He's a spectator. So basically yeah, you're man. saying it's all like you, you're not going to partake right now, but if anyone else does have at it, Oh, please. I want, I would, I would like for other people to test it, man. If you want to try that out, like, please, we need, we need the uh, test dummies, man. Hey, you heard it here for the first time. If you want to become a test dummy for CRISPR, we support you and send us the data. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, Cause otherwise, how else are you going to do it? There's got to be some people, you know, instead of testing it on, you know, black people, like these Tuskegee folks that didn't know what was going on. At least these guys are informed. We know what the problems are. We just tell them, like, hey, look, this could really fuck you up. Yeah. And if they're like, cool, we down, then it's down. You know, all these people who have these, like, you know, terminal cancer, they let them do all these crazy um, experimental things. And Trump just passed a bill that allows people to be enrolled in these studies um, for these experimental treatments. I mean, I don't really think there's a problem with it. I mean, if it's terminal cancer, you're going to die, you're going to die. At least let's see what happens if the person's down for it. I mean, it's probably not going to kill them any quicker. Or if it does, well, they're, you know, it's an unfortunate situation to be in, but if well, that's their yeah. choice. They, they have agency, man. They have agency. Give your body decides. I agree. Yeah. Honestly, it's a hard life out here. Sometimes it's not worth living. So if you die sooner. Whoa. <laughs> whoa, today, whoa. Yo, if you're suicidal, don't fucking give your life to no, science. No, I am not you know, suicidal. You should live. But go all ahead. I'm saying, all, look, what I'm saying is true. It's a hard life. And, if you know, not living is not a horrible thing for some people to think about. That's all I'm saying. Probably gonna have to cut this that's part true. out. That's a ma- that's a massive hot take right here. That's a massive hot take. Yo, I mean, but I, I agree, man. Life is work. You gotta yeah. do work, man, if you want to be around here. If you don't feel like doing work, you might as well die. Well, <laughs> no, get the fuck out of here. Nah, you're not no. trying to fucking progress no. everybody. You're holding everybody back, man. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, you're just wasting space, man. You might Yo, as well we, die. We got we got Yo, some hot, hot takes take today. central. Sure. Hey, okay, but what I'm just saying is that I, I can sympathize with someone who struggles with life and wants to end it. I can understand that, and I am empathic 
to that state of mind. I feel like we should uh, endorse euthanasia of terminal patients. All right. People in hospice. Oh, it's, it's, it's legal. It's legal in some other countries. And it's completely fine. Completely fine. Like in Europe, so I don't I can't remember off the top of my head exactly where, but I guarantee you it's like legal in multiple European countries. Um, they do this. And it's not an issue. Hmm. Well, the United States is certainly a place where taboos reign I have, freely. I have the uh, definitive list of countries where it is legal. Uh, Belgium, Colombia, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, and the last one is Canada. They have oh, even Canada! Death. Whoa, yes. that's legal what's up. voluntary euthanasia, uh, doctor assisted. Yeah, man, it should be allowed. I think that's one of the most compassionate things you can do for somebody. Yo, matter of fact, there are six U.S. states that uh, have adopted such things. California, really? guess oh, I'm gonna I guess Montana, <laughs> Oregon, Vermont, Washington State, Utah has to be one. Nah, nah, Utah's way nah, too those conservative, Mormons, man. Bro. They're Mormons. Hell, fuck out of here. They'll kill your whole family if you commit suicide. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All six of your That's wives. The I know, right? They coming for everything. Is that All the actual of your kids? Yo, shout out to Mormonism, Jamans, <laughs> no. Joseph Smith. Fuck out of here. All right, well, we we have had some interesting talk about science, but I think, you know, for me, and I think the point that we're trying to get at is that science has such a pristine image and, you know, to reach the position of uh, principal investigator, like you have acquired so much prestige in the the field you know and but at the same time there's just so much shit associated with science you know we look back at duke um her uh he the instigator you brought up the tuskegee uh um syphilis experiments you know it's just like Mm -hmm. a lot of shit associated with science so then my question to you instigator super co-host herschel why are we in these fields? How did you find yourself, you know, pursuing the MD PhD? How did you find yourself working for the CDC? You know, why are you living this life? I, I mean, I, I can go. I mean, like I said, it was it was because I, I mean I'm truly interested in science. It's something that I I love. I mean, I've always loved science from the beginning. You know, since I was a kid, I always wondered how things work, and so if I can help. You know, once you get to the to the edge to the to the extremes of whatever the knowledge is currently known about whatever it is you're interested in, the next step is to try to develop new knowledge, trying to understand the stuff that people don't understand. So that's the whole pursuit, and that's what it should be. At least, you know, it's about finding truth and bringing knowledge and helping the world understand things that they don't understand before. That's what I, you know, thought it was, but. You know, when I now that I got into it, it finds out that there's all this bullshit. You know, there's so much nepotism. There's, you know, favoritism by different reviewers in terms of like publications or grants. And you find out the people who are leading these things are just so stuck on their own ideas, and they will try to shoot down any other ideas that um, challenge theirs. I mean, this is they get really defensive. They're not open like you would think scientists would be open to new ideas. It's very egotistic. Um, 
so that wasn't the part this, of, of science that I saw. So when I was like an undergrad, I was working with people who loved science. I mean, you know, they just were out there just for the for the joy of it. And so that's what I came up knowing. And, you know, as I started getting to the more competitive biomedical research and, you know, doing all that stuff, you start to see that people really aren't about that life. So, I mean, that's that's a reason why I, I that's one of the reasons why I'm leaving, you know. I don't. I don't think I want to pursue this this life because it's it's too much of a hassle to try to change the system. I mean, that's not what I was brought here to do. I don't think so. At least, I'm not going to waste my time trying to convince people of the obvious, you know. But this is this is where I'm at, and I and I and I do appreciate the the knowledge that I've gained and the experiences I've had. I think they're invaluable, you know. But I know this is where my my path diverges from the rest of them. Ah, damn! That was pretty deep. The um, instigator's manifesto. Say, yeah, um, I'm sorry to see that to hear that you're uh, going to be moving away from the scientific research field, but I mean, we were glad to have you uh, for the time being. <laughs> but I will say, um, I mean, my work uh, for the CDC, like uh, I do recognize, I mean, science is always going to be an uphill battle to to convince somebody else to agree with a differing point of view than what they already were thinking. You know, it's, it's been that way since goddamn Galileo and Newton with the apple and, you know, everybody, every scientist ever like has had to prove their way and many times are not recognized for their brilliance until afterwards, like, you know, a hundred years later when we name something after them. Um, it is really important. It's critical to be in an environment that's supportive though. And I'll say thus far, CDC has been pretty supportive. They do really good work. They distance themselves for the most part from the uh, administrative branch or the executive branch of the government uh, because, of course, those things can change. And, you know, science does not change. The shit is the same. Like it's it's going to like whatever is, you know, as we, you know, explore our curiosities and figure out what the fuck is really going on. It's going to be the exact same tomorrow, the next day, 100 years from now, uh, no matter what. So that's really one thing that that drove me in into the scientific field. Uh, I was always curious and I realized once I started to find answers that like, you know, uh, gravity is always going to be there. I can understand the law of gravity. Um, And from there, you know, I love to learn about the rest. Yeah, so I mean, just one, just one point about what you said, um, Herschel, about people always wanting, you know, always disagreeing, you know, and and it's hard to convince somebody to to adopt your ideas. I mean, I, I completely agree with that. Um, the, I mean, what I I think I didn't, you know, get it across as clearly as I would hoped was that a lot of times it feels like people don't even assess the the idea that you're presenting them like they they have automatically dismissed it because it's not what you know everybody says regardless of what it is and so i'm i mean that's that's kind of the annoying part to me is like i mean isn't this like your job your job is to be a thinker like you're supposed to be assessing these ideas that their scientific merit and like where's the where's the evidence and you know the the rest of that stuff and a lot of times they don't like no they don't do that you know they it's crazy how like it's really crazy how little people want to think you know like and I thought this was their job I think it's either you know I just 
didn't understand the nuances of what people do, or I just thought that people would have a higher, you know, understanding or higher calling for the profession they chose. It's like, yeah, I I do this. Like I'm supposed to be assessing this stuff. I mean, even if you think somebody's crazy and they're presenting an idea to you and you think it's crazy that there's usually for a lot of things, there's some semblance of truth or an idea which they're trying to get at that is in itself valuable. Um, this is this is the thing that that I find from a lot of people. Like a lot of times, I you know I hear people give talks and they say stuff that I think is kind of wrong. But at the end of the day, I can understand where they're trying to go. Like there's there's a there's an idea in there that they're trying to push that their you know their question isn't really getting at. And you don't. So a lot of times, people don't think that much about what what's going on. You know, and that's that's what really saddens me. And I don't really want to hang around people like that. Um, it's not it's not good for 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 thought. It's not good for progress. Right. Right. Yeah. That That's my main gripe, too. As I said, what I've learned in my time pursuing the Ph.D. is like there's a pathway. It's a, it's a very specific pathway. You can come up with your own research questions and you can go to whatever university and work in whatever lab. But for the NIH pathway, it's very well constructed for you. And if you waver you're not going to be able to accomplish the level of success that other people have or what you would want going down the NIH path. And again, as the instigators mentioned several times over, that is not good for science. It has to be, you know, there has to be a lot of creativity and it has to be rich in um, opinions and thoughts, um, opposing thoughts. Uh, So me personally, you know, Herschel, you're very much embedded in the CDC research. The instigator, you say that you're going to leave the field, but I still imagine that you're going to be associated with um, the understanding of the human condition and uh, the analysis of data. And I feel the same for myself. So in some way, we're, we're going to be stuck with this lifestyle, you know, seemingly forever. Once a scientist, always a scientist. Uh, yeah, I guess so. You know, you um, can't learn those ways. I think. I mean, me. I think it's about the analytical thinking. Like, as, as eventually, when you start thinking about things like over and over and in multiple ways and and in different levels, like you just have like that's just the way it is. Now you kind of have to live that life. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. You got to assess everything. Um, What's the next topic, Tom? Someone wrote hyperbaric oxygenation therapy for CTE treatment. Please explain before we (laughs) peace out. (laughs) So I wrote this. Um, So uh, this was actually an interesting research study that I was reading up on. And I actually heard an ex-football player discussing on a um, radio interview with uh, Howard Stern. And I don't know if you're familiar with Howard Stern, but he gets some unorthodox and interesting interviews sometimes. He's like the uh, precursor to uh, Joe Rogan, Rogan, I would say. Um, All right. So he was out here uh, interviewing with uh, Joe Namath, the uh, famous Jets football football quarterback. Um, You know, dude was super fucked up. It was, uh, you know, an addict. Uh, I think he was on alcohol and some, probably some other, uh, um, I don't know, opioids or something. Probably heroin, man. Yeah. yeah, probably all types <laughs> of shit. 
But he, uh, you know, more recently, like, had cleaned up. Uh, and he actually was going to a uh, brain therapist, and they were, like, doing uh, CT scans of his brain and shit. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of fluid, a lot of information. Like, just shit you would expect a veteran football player you would see in that dude's brain. And it was causing all these problems for him, you know, just socially, mentally, just, you know, everything that you would expect from an ex-football player. Um, and he t- tried out this experimental treatment. Um, it's hyperbaric, uh, oxygen treatment. And there are a few papers that I have been reading up on where it's been used to treat, uh, autism spectrum disorders. Um, and this dude, Joe Namath did it on his own dime was like, yo, I know it's experimental. I'm gonna try it out. He did improve. Um, and he actually took this to the NFL and was like, yo, y'all need to have like one of these shits in every single like health center that y'all have every single headquarters everywhere. Cause you could be definitely saving lives. Um, and one of the issues that he ran into as the NFL was like, nah, 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 we're not about to do that, is uh, the NFL does not want to um, admit that they have an issue. They won't, they don't want to – they still are not admitting that, like, I mean, football is a dangerous game. The shit is uh, bad for your brain. Like, sure, everybody knows, you know, you can get hurt. You can break a leg. You can fucking, you know, tear your ACL. Your leg could fall off, you know, all this shit. But um, if there was something that they could do – to enhance um, research to, you know, cut down on these suicides and these domestic abuse uh, situations that I myself personally believe are, you know, to some extent fueled by CTE, um, they should definitely do it. And I just wanted to bring this up as, you know, another, um, you know, cutting edge research uh, uh, opportunity, I guess, since we've been talking about CRISPRs and other shit uh, throughout this podcast. And, you know, hear you guys' thoughts on like, you know, brain experiments, especially from our instigator who has some hot takes for everything these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I had never heard of this. Um, that's, I mean, that's not surprising. I'm not into the neuro, the neurological side of things. So it's very, very interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to make of this hyperbaric oxygen. I'm looking it up right now. And it seems like there's a paper that was published in 2015 in the Journal of Medical Gas Research or some sort like that. And here's the summary from the paper. Well, so the, the title of the paper says, it's all the right moves, the need for the timely use of hyperbaric oxygen therapy in treating TBI, traumatic brain injury, CTE, uh, PTSD. And so the summary of the paper, which is like an abstract, it was like, hyperbaric oxygen is an efficacious, benign, and humanitarian way to affect brain repair but it has not been adopted because it lacks patent protection and has no large corporate sponsors. It has also met interference because other agendas are present, be they the protection of the status quo, myopic budgetary constraints, or perceived liability issues. Now, Literally all the like, shit we've been talking about today. Every, every so, single point of what we've been talking about today. Ah, so, But the, the, the issue here is that I just have never heard a science paper say anything like this like calling out the man you well, that, know talking that's because about science papers are already written for you that you already know what you're going to see in every single science paper that's true this, this is why i'm just like age is super skeptical there's this there's just like the 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 spidey sense that you get from after reading so many papers and then this one doesn't fit you're like oh hold on but I have to like actually read this and see what the information says because I don't I don't actually know about this at all. So, but I mean it's 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 provocative, and I think I mean if it works, it works. I mean the proof is in the pudding. 
Um, I mean, I think you're right, though, that if, if, you know, if this was something that actually worked and the, the NFL doesn't want, you know, to be called out for, you know, injuring their players and like once they are in, putting these things into their their facilities, it's like, okay, yo, you're going to get CTE if you don't do this. Like, this is going to be bad for you players. So now it's like, it's really serious. Like, it's like a symbol of CTE. Once they put in that, that chamber, it's a symbol that CTE is a thing. And um, I don't think they want that look. You know, I don't think it, it'll be good because the players may not react in a way. They may revolt. They may, you know, ask for more money and it would make the profitability for the owners less and, you know, crazy stuff like that. So, I mean, it's a, it has the potential to spiral uh, out of the owner's controls. So, I mean, I, I agree with them from their perspective of not wanting to do it, but, um, you know, it seems like hyperbaric oxygen is not a very, you know, it's not a, a dangerous treatment. So if it works, it works. Well, that's the issue that I think is pervasive in the sciences is that public opinion dictates what actually gets researched or investigated because I'm pretty sure the, you know, the shadow of the NFL discourages people for that exact reason that the NFL is eventually going to have to admit that, you know, there's an issue. And I mean, the whole product is supposed to be for NFL players. Those are the only people who really afflicted with CTE or people who participate in sports with a lot of head, you know, trauma. So, man, my whole thing is like we if, even if the NFL came out and said like, yo, we are at fault for at least some forms of traumatic brain injury. I would still watch that shit. It would not slow me down in the slightest. I would still be on like, all right, bet. I guess I'm tuning in even more every Sunday because some motherfucker's brain might fall out his ears. You know, you, you never know. Like, what? <laughs> no, I'm just saying they're they're doing bad math on like understanding the violence of their sport. Like we watch because there's violence. The UFC is a big thing because it was initially kept as a secret and kind of like, you know, oh, hush, hush behind closed doors. And then it became mainstream because it was mad popular. And did you see that dude just catch a flying knee to the face? You yeah, know, should embrace I, it and stop being such the moral like high ground that they're trying to do and disciplining people and shit like that. They need to focus on on them, man. You know, what, what were you gonna say, instigator? Yo, 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 yo. So this paper that was published by this guy Kenneth Stoller, MD, the one that I was just reading, um. So here is a news article from the Santa Fe New Mexican. It's the the their local Santa Fe newspaper. It says that the the title says hearing officer clears former Santa Fe doctor of medical child abuse. <laughs> the, the, wait, 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 hold the on. writer of the paper? This is the title of the the the, the title of the the news article. And in which, Santa Fe, New Mexican. And which doctor was cleared? The doctor that wrote the paper? Yeah, Dr. Kenneth Stoller. <laughs> the guy who wrote that paper I just told y'all about, the hyperbaric oxygen. That's crazy. Wait, wait, wait. So he got cleared? So he did or did not yeah, so, so, abuse a child? So he didn't. So it wasn't even like, it wasn't even child abuse like he was raping kids. They were saying that he was treating children that weren't sick or something. They accused him of that. 
But you, I, it seems like some, somebody's out to get him. If he, mm. if he got cleared. Sounds like Dr. Benito know? Malu, uh, how the NFL came, came for his life. Sounds like something similar. Ooh. Yeah, it seems like somebody Yo, came out to get him. Follow man. the money. Follow the money, y'all. That's <laughs> all I got to say. Yo, podcast listeners, RTBTH, follow the money. Well, we're going <laughs> to end it there. I think we're going to have to record another podcast specifically looking into some of the major conspiracy theories of our day. Uh, oh, God. One of those would I be the NFL's all. stranglehold on the science of traumatic brain injury. And uh, we also got to talk about Fox News's deep state bullshit they're always talking about. That shit I'm like, is wow. hilarious to me. I know. It's crazy. Like, this is a national television station. You guys are talking about the deep state, like some random comic book fucking theory that you guys have made up. Now you made it mainstream. That's a thing. I'm like, what is the deep state? Yeah, you say it's random. But when you go into that analysis and they start pulling up pictures of Obama and Eric Holder shaking hands, you know. <laughs> got him. Got him. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how fabricated that shit is. But, yo, thank you for listening. This is Real Talk what? Beyond the Headlines. Oh, my God. Hashtag RTBTH. Thank you so much, Instigator, for coming on the podcast. Herschel, we're going we, we gonna to get back on it. We're going to get back oh, yeah. on it. Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Peace. Peace. Peace.